Well, good morning again, City Hill. Everybody thawed out coming into the nice warm worship center here from the frigid Minnesota weather. We're, we're tough, right? Cold weather doesn't stop us. That's great. And I hear the snow's coming tonight. I felt a little bit cheated. Thank you for that. I felt a little bit cheated when everybody else gets the snow and we've missed it. Some of you would say, stop that, Pastor. But um, I'm looking forward to a good snow tonight. I pray it comes to Minnesota. I once prayed in snow that came miraculously for a sliding party, and my dad said, that was great. Now you go shovel it. <laughs> Seemed fair enough. I had prayed it in. Let's pray as we get going this morning. Father, I thank you for your joy. I thank you, God, that you are not finished with us yet. That, God, you have new things, new plans, new mercies, so much more for us. And pray, God, that even this morning we'd be open to the new things that you have in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a world of increasing change. The regular commercial airfare started in somewhere around 1950, where people really began flying all over. My first video game was Pong. I remember Pong. That was great. Do we have a little clip on that? There we go. We spent hours playing. There you go. Mass marketed worldwide. We played Pong. Uh, in 1989, I bought my first laptop computer. I remember somebody had two of them. I thought, what family would ever need two computers? Uh, my first Email was CompuServe.com. Yep, at the smartphone, which is now everywhere, the first one was marketed by Ericsson, whoever that company is, and in the year 2000, just back 19 years ago. And it, now you can see who's ringing your doorbell from anywhere in the world. And Amazon which is also everywhere, began selling common household goods in 1999. They were a book distributor, then they became selling everything, and they are now the biggest company in the world. Cable TV is being replaced by Netflix, etc., etc., etc. And no matter what you think about these changes, no, what, no matter what your opinion is, they're here to stay. Our world has changed. Whether you like it or not, no going back. It is what it is. Our world has changed. And here's the hard truth. Ready? Change or die. Many businesses have learned this the hard way. Take Sears and Roebuck, or however you say that. They're closing at Ridgedale. I went over there to their closeout sale at Ridgedale. And as I walked in, I realized nothing had changed there in the past 50 years. Their displays look the same. Their cash registers seem the same. The lady says, oh, this is an albatross's cash register. They had kept the same thing for all of these years, and now they're closing down. I was lamenting this on my doing FaceTime with my son in California, and I said, man, Sears is closing down. He said, who? <laughs> and I went, exactly. That, 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 that's exactly right. Um, travel agencies. 
If you're a travel agent today, God bless you. Everybody buys their tickets online. Not everybody, but the majority of us. How about video stores? Remember Blockbuster? Yeah, um, Blockbuster had 9,000 stores in America. I looked it up online. They now have one. Somewhere there's a holdout. They've still got a Blockbuster. You can go in and get your games and your DVDs. How about farmers? Farmers have had a tough time these years because farming has gone big time over the last decades. If you're a local farmer, times are tough because it's high-tech commercial farming. We have a cousin who is a farmer and their, their rigs and their systems are massive and technological. They can actually do the farming by GPS with no one in the tractor. It's just lined up and you just let it run and it knows exactly where to turn and what to do, guided by a GPS. But local farming is a thing that's sadly becoming a thing of the past. Farmers have had to change or die. So take the example of the carrot. The carrot. Now we have, I can't get this little carrot out of my pocket here. It was all set too, but now I've got to. Okay, there we go. So the carrot was losing market share. It seems that people like you and me were tired of taking a carrot and a peeler and peeling that carrot all the time it took and people just said, I'll buy something else. And the carrot was decreasing in market share until a guy, a farmer, came along with a better idea. His name was Mike Urasek. And Mike, they say, was the kind of guy that would think outside the carrot patch. He invented a better kind of carrot. And his idea, he was watching so much of the twisted carrots being thrown away, and he said, you know, I bet we could make baby carrots. And he found a way to take carrots and make them into baby carrots. And the baby carrot market, the carrot market was born again. It was revitalized. Now people don't tend to buy the major large carrots, but people are buying much more in volume because Mike had a better idea. Now notice the product has always been good. Carrots are good for you. Carrots taste good. But the packaging, the way in which it was presented, had to change or carrots were a thing of the past. And, you know, we could hear about that and say, yeah, I'll tell you what, society's changing. Can't believe those people. I mean, they're just lazy, those people that don't want to peel carrots. They're lazy. I mean, I remember on the farm, we used to sit around and peel carrots all afternoon, have great conversations. Oh, for those days when we didn't have those baby carrots, those stupid baby carrots. The reality is the world has changed. Our world has changed. And in many ways, we must change or die. Let me just say something here. God is not caught off guard. God is not throwing up his hands in dismay and going, I can't believe it. What are we going to do about that new thing? I mean, the reality is many of these changes were 
inspired by God. He gave us creativity. He gave us new ways of doing things. He gave us ways to solve problems that haven't been solved before. And we're the only animal that has that kind of creativity because we were created in the image of God. So let me just say, God is not threatened by the change in our society. In fact, God loves a lot of it. So I want to ask you, how do you respond to the change in the world? There are many different kinds of people in the world. So we've got the, see if we can make this work or maybe I need to change. There we go. Um, we have the innovators, this little section down here. The innovators are a small percentage and they readily welcome and embrace all change. They're looking for change. You guys are the first in line when Apple offers their new iPhone 12X. Now, the moment I said that, some of you went, what? Wait, I haven't heard about that. Excuse me, I got to go. Uh, no, they don't exist yet. But you're, out, you're the first one to buy it. You'll pay that extra double cost. You just want to be right there on the front edge. You're the inventors, the innovators. You have Alexa that's controlling your house lights and the temperature in your house. Um, David Deacon was changing the temperature in his uh, cabin from China, right, David? Yeah, he had a little app, and he said, oh, let me, let me warm that up for you, from China to Wisconsin. I said, David's one of those innovators. <laughs> New things. Those are the innovators. Early adopters. These are these people, this curve. You are the ones that they call respectable people opinion leaders. You try out new ideas. You are not afraid to fail. You may not be the first guy on the scene, but you're early and you move quickly and you do things that your neighbors and others have not done. And you're, you're free to take risks and you recognize that change is a part of life and you embrace it quickly. Then we've got the early majority. Those that wait a little bit, they see what's going on and then they, they adapt to it. They are thoughtful people, and they accept change more quickly than most. Late majority are called the skeptical people. They change only when it's really established and everybody's really using it. And then they go, well, all right, I guess I might as well join the crowd. Then you have the late majority, we have the late majority and you have the laggards. They're the traditional people. They'll change, they just care for the old ways. They're critical for all the new ideas. They view change as a threat, even evil, even something brought on by the devil. These newfangled things, like eating carrots. Like the guy who said, show me that next screen there. Said, you know, if we were meant to fly, if man were meant to fly, God would have given him wings. So we re, those resist all change. They, they long for the way things used to be. Now these laggards prob, proudly label themselves a term called the Luddites. Anybody heard of the Luddites? 
the Luddites. The Luddites were a grassroots group in England that resisted technological change. They were fearful their jobs would be wiped out, and they began to really be terrorists. They'd break into companies, into factories, and destroy machinery to protect their ways of life. And so that term rose up for those who resist technological progress. One of the American stories, taken at this side of the pond, would be John Henry. You may know that old song about old John Henry. He was a strong, powerful, gifted Afro-American whose job was to, as the legend has it, was to drive stakes as the railroad spread across America. Then in came the steam driver that could drive stakes by a steam engine. And the competition was set up between John Henry and the steam driver. And as the story is told, they had this race of who could drive stakes better. The steam engine or John Henry. And John Henry won the competition and then died of exhaustion. Progress was not to be stopped. You know, there's a bit of Luddite in all of us. There's a bit resists change in all of us. I remember my dear mother, grandmother, Ava Norell, my father's mother. Remember we had the first calculator. Now this, is, this dates me, of course, but the first calculator that was a four-banger that could add and multiply. And I, this machine could think. It was outstanding. It was astounding. So we, we took this a while, and I owned one. We were pretty cool. I was one of those early adapters. So we had this uh, the calculator, and we said, Grandma, look at this. Two plus three equals. It thinks for you. Unbelievable. And she goes, yeah, yeah. That's, that's for you young guys. I said, it's not that difficult. Come on, you just press these buttons with me. You know, take her... Two, no, no, yeah, yeah, that's for you young guys, but I, I, I don't do it that way. I remember walking away thinking, that's just sad. There's this cool thing called a calculator, and you could learn this, and she's going, no, no. And see, this doesn't depend upon age, because my mother is now 91, and as she's recovering. Mom's actually getting stronger and better every day, praise the Lord. But we've just put Alexa in her room. And so my 91-year-old mother is learning how to work with Alexa. She's like, Alexa, what time is it? The time is. And she's like, ooh, that's cool. And she's going, Alexa, play me this old hymn by, and it comes, she goes, how does it know that? But she loves talking to her little Alexa box, which plays her songs and tells her time. And we're still learning how to make it all work. But it's fun because she's not afraid of learning new things at 91. What stops us from change? What holds us back? Well, one thing is just I don't want to change. It's a hard attitude. I like the way I am and I'm not going to change. Sometimes we don't change because of fear. What happens if I try something new and I fail? What happens if I try something new and someone criticizes me? If I step out and it doesn't work, I don't know that. Because anytime there's change or progress, you're stepping out of your comfort zone. 
And we love our comfort. We love keeping things the way it is. And then there's the victim mentality. Well, I'd change, but I can't because of... And don't get me started on that. God is not the God of victim mentality. I can do all through Christ who gives me strength. I realize that some people have barriers much greater than others. I realize that there are challenges. Our God is greater than all of that. And he gives us the strength to do things that we've never done before. Sometimes it's simply a lack of faith. You know, faith, another word for faith is risk. And a lot of us don't like risk. And so therefore we don't take steps of faith. We won't push ourselves forward because we're afraid of what might not happen. You know, sometimes it's just simply that we're stuck and we don't know how. We don't know how to change. We'd like to, but really our challenge, we don't know what those steps should be. And either we find out how to embrace the change and use it for the advantage of our lives and for the kingdom, or it will leave you in the dust. So I repeat, change or die. And I want to ask you a question. Which are you? Go back to that graph there, if you would. Kimmy, where do you stand on the basic change? Just talk to somebody for a minute. We're going to take a minute, break it. Tell somebody. Actually, talk to somebody at church. Can you believe it? Tell somebody beside you. Where do you stand on that uh, change continuum? All right. So the reality is technological change is one thing, and I don't really care. And I don't know that God really cares. If you want to peel your own, your own carrots, go ahead. If you, don't want, if you want to have a corded phone that's still stuck to the wall, knock yourself out. You know, God doesn't really care too much about those things. But then there's changes of the heart. Next week, I want to talk about changes in the church. But today, I want to start with changes in your heart. Jesus wants to change your heart. I want to say that again. Jesus wants to change your heart. You may say, well, my heart's just fine. Praise the Lord. But God has new things for you today. He's got new things. You know, when you preach this, these sermons, these are dangerous because it always has to start with the preacher. And as I'm working this through, the Lord's saying, I can't, I've got new things for you. Will you fight them or will you embrace them? And that's really where I'd say change or die. Maybe not die in the sense that you'd actually die, but you're either growing with God or something in you is stagnating and dying. You ever seen a swamp? It's still got water in it, but it's not changing. It's not flowing, and therefore the swamp becomes stagnant, and it's dying. Jesus wants to change our hearts. Let's open our Bibles to Luke 5, verse 36 through 39. I've been working towards the scripture this morning, and 
as we talk about new wine and the changes that God wants to do in us, I believe that God has given us a vision for the year, which I'm calling strategic discipleship. God wants us to grow as disciples, as followers of Christ. And if you're going to grow, that means change. If you're going to be a disciple, that means you're going to be different. And there will be changes that God will ask of you. And my question is, how will you respond as God asks you to be different, to grow, to change? We're going to be reading quite a bit out of the book of Luke. Because Luke's a great book that talks about how Jesus chose his disciples and helped them to change as he was preparing to turn the kingdom over to them here on the earth. And I figure if we follow Jesus' example, we can't go too far off center, right? So we read in verse 36 of Luke 5. Jesus also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he'll tear the new and the piece from the, old, from the new will not match the old. No one puts new wine in old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says, the old is good. The metaphors in these two parables of Jesus were drawn from the contemporary Jewish culture, but I think we can understand them fairly clearly. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he'll tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. So here I got a pair of old jeans. They got pretty ragged. I've got some holes in them. Now the young generation says, finally. <laughs> cool, you finally got, yeah. But if I wanted to patch this, I would not take a new patch and put it over the jeans. One, it would look funny. But two, it would also, when you wash it, the concept is these have already come to their final shape, but this patch would shrink in the sun or in the dryer, and it would tear away. It'd be a bad idea. Far better to find some old jeans and patch the jeans with some other material other than new patches. In the wineskins, Jesus is talking, get, trying to, what Jesus does in parables, he's trying to say, heaven is like this. And every parable breaks down at some level. Every analogy breaks down at some level. But the central concept, Jesus is saying, the, the kingdom of heaven is like this. So he talks about wine and wineskins, which everybody understood enough of in that society. And so as we know, wine is produced by the crushing of grapes as part of a ceremony. Anybody ever done that, like walked around barefoot and crushing grapes? I just think that'd be fun. Um, so they crush these grapes. Juices, juice came out from them. And then they took that new grape juice and they put it into wineskins. And the wineskins were made by animals, their skins in a fresh leather, and then it had to be fermented over time. And so as the fermentation took place, there was an expanding of the volume inside the wineskins. And so the 
new wineskins worked perfectly because as the volume of wine increased, the leather would stretch and it was all preserved perfectly. But if you took a wineskin and said, let's do that again, now you have an old wineskin and you put new wine in it, when that fermentation took place, that old wineskin would break. And then the wineskin would be destroyed and the wine would be lost. And everybody in Israel would have gone, of course, we understand that. You would not put new wine in old wineskins. But Jesus was not giving a course on how to preserve wine. He was simply using that to speak of kingdom principles. His conclusion in verse 38, new wine must be put in fresh wineskins. Let's say that together. New wine must be put in fresh wineskins. He was talking to the scribes and Pharisees, people who had it all figured out. Their religious life was very documented, planned out. They understood things, and their goal was to preserve their way of life, preserve their understanding of God, preserve their worship of God, and Jesus came in as a threat. And he came in and said, this, this God that you love and worship, this same God, has a new and fresh way for you. He's got something he wants to do different. There's a new covenant coming where salvation is now through trusting in the Messiah, trusting in what Christ has will and has done for you, and it's a new way of God. There's new, fresh change, and their structures, their present understanding would need to change if they were going to understand it, if they were going to receive the new, fresh wine of God. But he ends here by saying in verse 39, and no one drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. It's interesting, the old is good. I want to tell you, the old is good. I mean, if you think about wine, old wine is better than new wine. Now, analogies break down. But Jesus was not saying your old wine was faulty or garbage. or He wasn't criticizing what had happened. He wasn't criticizing their life and their love for God to that point. But he was saying God is coming to do something new and fresh among you. And my question really is, how do we respond when God wants to do something new and fresh in our lives? Are your hearts open to new ways of God in you? I hope so. Technology is irrelevant, really, in comparison to what God wants to do in us. And if you're here this morning and you've never opened your heart to Christ, I know what God wants. He wants to do something new and fresh in you. He wants to come bring salvation, forgiveness of sins. And, you know, people who aren't saved will often say they, they resist. And I remember a dear friend of Janet and ours in the Dominican Republic, neighbor, we talked to her about the Lord for years, and finally she came to the Lord. 
And she started attending a church, and she came to us in tears and said, why did I resist Christ for so long? Oh, the years that I could have. Oh, she was actually lamenting that she had, why did I resist all this love and care and life and forgiveness that Christ had for me? What? And she was rejoicing in the new, but just wishing she'd have come to Christ so far back. But the principle is true for us as well. Sometimes as we get walking in Christ and we experience the beauty of Jesus, we say, this is the way it is. And we build those same kind of boxes around our personal lives and walk with Christ, and Christ has more for you. Christ has more for us. Anybody here say, I've arrived, I'm there, I'm at the apex, and this is all there is in God? Not even close. There's so much more that God has for us. And my question is, are we willing to embrace the new things of God? Are we willing to say, you know, God, I thank you for what you've done for me to this day. It's been good, and God, I want more. I want the new wine. I want to be, God's got the new wine, but we have to become those new wineskins that can receive what Christ has for us. Bobby, come on up. I've asked that Bobby would close, and come on up, Taylor. Thanks, guys. Um, there's a beautiful song about new wine. Jesus, do bring your new wine to me today. And what I'm asking for us as we close the service is that we just clear away our papers, put things beside you on the chair beside you if you can or on the floor. And my heart is that you and I would say, Lord, I want the new thing that you want to do in me. And you say, Lord, reveal to me where I build barriers for the new thing. You know, John Maxwell is a leadership guru in America. And he says that the, one of the greatest challenges to future growth is past successes. So it worked for us in the past, therefore that's the way it's always going to be until the end of time. And I think we need to give thanks to God for all he's done in us, whatever he's done in you too today. But say, God, I want the new thing that you have for me. I want the new in my personal life, in your relationships, in your friendships, in your marriages, in your quiet time with God. What new thing does God want to do? And maybe even identify where you're Resisting. If God asks of you to get up earlier to seek him, do you say, I'm not a morning person? I'm not sure that really cuts it. What about, you know, I want you to go do this. You say, well, that's not my style. Yeah, exactly the point. There are times that God wants us to step outside of our comfort zone, outside of our style, outside of our preferences, so that we can experience more of what God has for us. And I believe that as we do, we'll be as my friend that will look back and say, why did I resist the blessing and life and fullness that God had waiting for me?
just as we prayerfully listen to the song, just open your hands before on your lap and ask God to speak to you and to make your heart one that can receive the new wine of Christ. Bobby, go ahead. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil I